Please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We have been looking at spiritual warfare. I'd like to begin reading in verse 10 as an introduction. We are going to get today to verse 14 and continue talking about the breastplate of righteousness. Let's begin in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's a lot of things. Okay. And so he says in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day, and having done all to stand. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and I said before that is that belt of truth, and today we're looking at the next part which says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now notice again, this is the second piece of armor that needs to be already on before you even think about taking an uncompromising stand against the enemy. Remember, there were three pieces of armor that needed to be on before you start. And that's the reason why, again, he says, if you look at verse 14 and into verse 15, he says, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So these are things that we are already... Like the Indian would say, having. All right? <laughs> all right. These are all things that you already need to have on. Probably have to edit that out. Anyway. Um, <laughs> no, don't. Okay. That's really important because when you think about this, if you don't begin this fight with truth, how do you think you're going to win? And again, remember, we dealt with truth on different levels. We dealt with truth about the Word of God itself. So you need to take the Word of God into your fight. We also dealt with the truth of being truthful with yourself. Are you willing to do this? Are you willing to go the distance? Amen? And you can't just say it for everybody because, well, that's, you know, that's the right answer. You need to decide, are you there yet? Amen? Are you ready to take this fight on? And if you're not, be honest and go, not yet. What do you do? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Go back and hear. Get to a place where you're strong enough and you go, Okay, we're good now. Let's do this. Amen? And so again, that's a truthfulness that is through and through. Amen? And so you need to start this so that the devil can't come and point his finger at anything and say, Aha, you hit that one really well, didn't you? You think nobody knows? I know. You know how come he knows usually? Because he's the one that got you to go do whatever it was you were going to do. God would never lead you towards unrighteousness. Hello. If anything is wrong in your life, it's because he inspired it. Amen? So he knows about it. So you need, that's the reason why you need 1 John 1, 9. Amen? And we talked about that before. You know, if there's anything, remember we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness. If we confess our sins or acknowledge our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Which means you come back to righteousness. Amen? Breastplate is back on again. Okay, amen. 
This is a part of the armor which God supplies the standard and the power, but for which we must supply the willingness. Did you get that? God supplies the standard and the power. Isn't that wonderful that He doesn't just supply the standard and goes, now you try and do that. (laughs) Okay? No, He supplies both the standard and the power. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Amen? It's given. It's yours. Are you willing? This is where the problem is, you know? And this is where the wrong kind of preaching can strip you naked. I mean, people start preaching garbage, like, you know, nobody is perfect. And, and we know that. We don't need to preach that. We need to preach the opposite of that. So that we walk away from that and towards something. Amen? Not keep looking back. Remember again, we are not to look at how sinful we are, but we are to look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Not the accuser of the brethren. Did you get that? Amen? Be careful where your eyes are, because the devil is out to accuse you and bring you down. He's constantly looking to accuse you. He'll look for anything that you've done wrong. Anything that wasn't quite right. Anything that you thought was wrong. Might have not been wrong, you just thought it. That's enough for him. He'll work with it. If you let him. Are you all here? Amen. So we just need to really put aside all of that stuff. Amen. Which is why I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this with you. And I'm bringing it to you in such a way. One of the things we have to be really careful of is. <clears throat> sometimes you listen to this message. And you can be preached two different ways. So let me just bring this out to you so that you are careful to stay away from one and cling to the other. Okay? You have to be careful when people start to talk about, well, you know, this is about holy living. And it's not that it's not. It's two negatives. Anyway, okay? (laughs) Try to follow me, all right? Yes, we are to live a holy and righteous life. Yes, we are. But the whole thing is that what then that message goes on to say is that if you are living in that perfect holiness and that perfect righteousness, then the devil can't touch you. But can I say this to you? We can't say, well, when we get there, then we're going to be okay. Not after what Jesus did, we're okay now. Are you getting what I'm saying? You have to be careful that you don't let people set standards that are so high. You know the Pharisees did this? Think about this now. They set standards so high, they even couldn't keep it. Jesus said, you strap bundles on people's back that you yourself don't carry. Amen. We're still doing it today. The church is still doing it today. They're preaching, you know, holiness and righteousness to such a level where nobody can do that. And you know what happens? It has the exact opposite effect. People go, well, I can't do that, so why the heck even try? Let's just go do whatever. Okay, are you all with me? You know, if you just don't think you're ever going to make a standard, well, you know, let's go party. Okay? But if I was to tell you that you are righteous now, not your righteousness, His righteousness. And we're going to look at scriptures today. I'll give you enough ammunition. Your gun will be loaded. Okay? Anything comes at you, just pull it out and shoot. Don't ask questions. Shoot, then talk later. <laughs> okay? You know, like the old days. Shoot first, ask question later. <laughs> if they're still alive. Okay, so <laughs> hopefully it won't be. Alright, even though perfect righteousness is applied to us, it is still up to us to live it out. 
Do you understand that? So do you understand the difference? The difference is this. I am telling you that you have been made righteous. It is up to you to live it out. Others will tell you, you have to be righteous and you have to be perfect before you can receive the rewards of that. I'm telling you, it's already yours now. Can you receive the reward and walk in it now? Because as you receive that righteousness, it will cause your actions to become righteous. It will cause you to become holy. It will cause you to do the right thing. One is you are working for something. The other one is you are working because of something. Do you get the difference? You are not trying to get to a place of righteousness. You are righteous. Please stop acting like a stinker. (laughs) Let a little out, sweetheart. (laughs) We could all use some of it. Okay, so one definition of righteous living, I just want to throw this out to you, is James 4.17. He says, To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. What is knowing to do good? Knowing to do what is right. It's doing right. Amen? And remember again, it's all as the Spirit leads. Be careful you're not just doing stuff to be seen of men. Because you can start doing your own thing, and that's not very good. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, remember again, the Apostle Paul wrote here, For if if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So, we're looking at one man doing the wrong thing and one man doing the right thing. One caused us all sorts of problems. The other one redeemed us from all those problems. Are you with me? That's why the the, the one has been emphasized there. Verse 18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all, resulting in condemnation, so through one man's righteous act... Stop for a second. Are you getting this? Do you understand that one person sinned and caused us all to fall, and it didn't take all of us being right to get back up? Get it? One caused the problem, one came and fixed it. (laughs) Just like one put us in a whole heap of trouble, one lifted us up and restored us. So again, he says, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Verse 19, for as one man's disobedience, many were made, made sinners. This is where I left off last week, we're going to pick up here today. Notice, as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Like it or not, good or bad, you were made a sinner. Okay, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. The same way everybody fell into a mess. The same way God just pulled them out. Same deal. They were made sinners, now God made you righteous. So no matter how good you were, you were made a sinner, so it's just like you're going to hell. Yeah, but I've never done anything wrong. You're still going to hell. The scripture in Romans 3.23, you know, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, isn't talking about your everyday life. It's talking about something that you were made. Because what Adam did, you were made a sinner. If you get that, and if you tell people that regardless of how good they are, they still need to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. If you have that revelation, can I tell you, take it and see the other side. Just like everybody, regardless of how good they were, were made sinners, 
When you receive Jesus, regardless how good or bad you were, you were made righteous. So people that preach, ready? Catch this. Get your glove out. <laughs> All right? Listen. People that start preaching and saying, Oh, brother, you better be good. Otherwise, you're going to lose your salvation. Go to hell. Spat on my mic again. Okay. Do you get this? If they can't do anything to get to heaven in their own strength, you getting this? Because they were made sinners. When you were made righteous, there's nothing really very much you can do to go the other way. Once you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, like I said, there is a very narrow doorway out. Very narrow. Alright? Because your will is still sovereign. If you will to get back out, if you decide you want to get out, if you knowingly, not because you're hurt, not because some huge tragedy has happened and you, you know, whatever. None of those things, right? Okay? God knows, alright? He's the greatest counselor that there is. He'll go, yeah, yeah, darling, I know. Whatever. Come back in a week, you'll be right. Okay? <laughs> Forget about it, alright? No, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a cold, calculated decision. That you say, I don't want this? Okay then I'm not going to say that's not going to happen. I'm just going to say you're really dumb for doing it. Okay? And even trying that out. You don't want to find out. <laughs> okay? Some things are better left. Alright. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I want to move forward now from here. So all who receive... Now remember this is received by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For He made Him who knew no sin... To be sin for us. Stop there for a minute. Stop there for a minute. Can we all agree that Jesus was perfect? Okay, we all nod on that one. Okay, cool. Alright. Watch what this verse is saying. He, God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, who was literally sinless, to be sin. Can I say made? Okay. To be made sin or... To be sin for us. Now, a perfect person became the worst sinner. Did you get that? Are you ready for the other side? The worst sinner became a perfect person. You can't have this side of the equation without the equal sign going the other way. This is, this is a mathematical formula. Okay? Do you understand? Perfect Jesus became imperfect. That's why He died. Because He took on all our sin. He took our place and died on the cross. Did you get that? So why are you trying to die on the cross? Why are people trying to crucify you? Don't let people crucify you. Say, excuse me, Jesus already died. For me. Thank you very much. Go home. Because the devil will bring this. You say, hang on a second. Jesus was perfect. He was made imperfect. The worst, the most imperfect somebody could be. So that the most imperfect anybody was, will become the most perfect being that there ever existed. That's you. Amen? Say, thank you Lord. Okay? That's what this is saying. For He made Him who knew no sin. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's why I said we can put the word made in there. 
that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Why might? Because it's our choice. <laughs> we could all say, no, we don't want that, thank you very much. Stupid, but you know. <laughs> okay. Not that we would, alright, okay. But do you understand what I'm saying? Amen? No, man, it says, so that we might become. Listen, when you decide, you become. When you decide, you become what? The righteousness of God. Notice how it finishes? In Him. That's why you need Him. Because it's all in Him, not in you. Why isn't it in you? Because we'll find out in a minute. R. Kent Hughes explains that it is what theologians call imputed righteousness. If you do not have this righteousness, nothing can save you. But if you have it, you are safe for eternity. Amen? It is this righteousness that is spoken of in Isaiah 54 and verse 17. You know, we always quote this scripture. Can we quote the whole thing now? Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Do you understand why no weapon formed against you can prosper? Why no tongue can rise against you? Because... Your righteousness is God's righteousness. Anybody come against you, they are coming against God now. So this is the reason why we need to get this revelation. We need to understand that it is His righteousness. God says, their righteousness is of me. So when the devil starts to go, yeah, but you don't know what they did. Shut up. Their righteousness is of me. It's not their righteousness. Now, there is a real problem here. When we try to do stuff in our own strength. Alright? This is the righteousness that is spoken of in Isaiah 64. It says, but we are all like an unclean thing. Now this is what people normally preach. (laughs) And they say, this is you now. This is not you now. Listen carefully. It says, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Yes, brother, that's my righteousness. Filthy rags. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay, that's why all the weapons formed against me prosper. That's why every tongue that rises against me, they're right. (laughs) Okay? Do you know why? Because of this. Notice all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and are... Read the rest of this, okay? Watch. It says, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Our iniquities, what we did wrong. Okay? And he says in verse 7, And there is no one who calls in your name. Whoa, hang on a second. This is a group of people that have lost fellowship with God. Can you see this? Okay? He says, There is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. They're not even trying. He says, For you have hidden your face from us, I would too, and have consumed us because of our iniquities. Okay? He says, but now, O Lord, you are our Father. Now, this is really interesting. Old Testament scripture. And Isaiah is calling God Father. Okay? So why did the Pharisees get so upset? Anyway, we are the clay and you are our potter. And all we are the work of your hand. Alright? So notice, you're our Father. We are the work of your hand. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we are all your people. So we are talking about God's people. We are talking about God's people, but notice that they have all walked away from Him. Notice they have no fellowship with Him. 
Do you understand this? This is what happens when people try to do stuff on their own. When people try to be good on their own. When people say, God, we don't need you, we're good enough. This is where God becomes very unhappy. Because these people, remember again I told you, be careful that you're not trying to earn your way into heaven. You're already going. Now behave that way, is what we're saying. Amen? Okay. So simply put, all these people who had strayed away from God and were out of fellowship with Him, because of that, everything they did was displeasing or filthy rags to God. John McCarthy in his commentary writes, The church today, oh listen to this. The church today is often guilty of supplying believers with the paper armor of good advice, programs, activities, techniques, and methods. When what they need is the godly armor of holy living. No program, method, or technique can bring wholeness and happiness to the believer who is unwilling to confront and forsake his sin. Now that's true. You know, if you're doing something wrong, stop it. <laughs> okay? You're hurting people, stop doing that. Amen? Because, you know, we, we have to be careful that we, we're not attacking believers and going, well, God will forgive me. Yeah, but you're attacking Him. If you've done it to the least one of these, you're doing it to me. So we need to be careful when people, you know, some people just attack you. And they just think, well, you're a Christian, you have to be nice to me. Like Charles Neiman said, you don't treat me like a brother and you don't act like one, I won't treat you like one either. <laughs> you know? Just, yeah, yeah, that, that man carries a sword around. Okay. <laughs> Remember again, if anything is out of whack, 1 John 1, nine. very quickly. Amen? Restoration is there. Now, since we are clean from all unrighteousness because of 1 John 1, nine, then it follows that we are totally and absolutely righteous before Him. Can we say Amen to that? Every time you confess or acknowledge your sin before Him, according to 1 John 1, nine, on the inside you need to see yourself cleansed. This is not just your imagination. This is a reality, but you need to see it. You need to see what has actually happened. Not just imagine something and positive mental attitude, none of that stuff. What you're doing is you're trying to get a, an image of what has actually happened. And you need to get a revelation of that. Because if you do, then you'll start behaving that way and go back down that road again. When the devil says, oh come on, you know, you know God will understand, don't worry about it, just go ahead, whatever. The only way he can sell that is if you are still thinking of yourself as a little sinner. Not the righteousness of God in Christ. Get it? Amen? So you need to say, excuse me, who are you talking to? Yeah, but it's shut up. That one died. We're not going to let him out of the coffin. We're going to leave him in there. You know, Jesse Duplantis does one of those. He gets up like Dracula, you know. The coffin opens and the dead man rises up again. <laughs> and we like to bring him out on occasion. You know, when people tell us off or we want to just, you know, hey, Hello. Can we just be real for a minute? So, you know, we look around, pastor's not there, we quickly open the coffin and quick, go get him. <laughs> and the old man pops out, does his business and go back in the coffin, go back in there, pastor's coming. Oh, wait, Jesus, somebody, somebody's coming. Get in there, quick. <laughs> and then you act all nice and innocent. And, well, you know, anyway, all right. <laughs> Matthew 6.33, it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. 
Notice that as you begin to walk in this righteousness, this is where everything gets added to you. Amen? You don't have to work for things anymore. Things will start coming to you. In fact, in Psalm 37 and verse 17, I would love to preach on this more, but let me just move on. It says, For the strength and power of the wicked will be broken and shattered, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Let me show you something here. Notice the word, but. It is a dividing line. All those people that think they can hurt you and get away with it, this is their end. The strength and the power of the wicked will be broken and shattered. By who? God Himself. So as people are doing stuff to you, I told you, feel sorry. Don't get upset, feel sorry. Because they are reaping a whirlwind. And it's coming. I told you, it's the ball principle. You throw it up, it's coming back down, baby. And you know the problem with the way God says it, you throw one ball up and a hundred come down. <laughs> it's raining balls, you know, okay? That's what happens when you throw one up. Just like if you throw blessing up, you won't get one blessing back. You'll be showered with blessings. Amen. Amen. Works both ways. But I need you to understand this, and I need you to know this. And you need to understand that when that stuff comes, don't rejoice. Don't rejoice in other people's downfall. You just be glad that God is looking after. And like I said, once you see that enough, I have seen that enough to get to a place where I truly worry about people that attack the body of Christ, that attack us. Do you hear me? It really concerns me because I think, oh, dude, you are sowing a very bad seed and it is going to bring a whole crop. And if anything, feel sorry. Because they're going to have to live through that now. And if they're Christian, you know, there's going to be counseling. And, and they're going to go to some counselor. And that counselor is going to say, yes, well, God is testing you and trying you. And isn't it funny how we just do this to God all the time? We just make Him the bad guy in everything. We make mistakes. We do the wrong thing. And then we blame it on Him. Amen. I don't want to get to heaven. And God goes, gee, thanks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Wow. With Christians like this, who needs atheists? Anyway. (laughs) So, if you remember now, again, we were looking at the Roman soldier's breastplate. We found that it was comprised of smaller scale-like pieces of metal, similar to the scales of a fish. Remember how I spoke to you about that before? Let me move on now. What's interesting about that is, the more the soldier wore his breastplate and walked around in it, the more the metal scales rubbed against each other and made the breastplate even more lustrous, and therefore more and more beautiful. Isn't that interesting? So the more he wore it, the better it looked. It wasn't the other way around. Okay, it would polish itself as you were moving. Interesting, isn't it? Isn't that just brilliant? Okay? And since the Apostle Paul was making reference to this particular breastplate, it tells us that the breastplate of righteousness should be worn all the time. Meaning that God expects us to walk continually in honesty, integrity, and uprightness of character. Amen. In fact, in his commentary on Ephesians, R. Kent Hughes says that when you have this righteousness from God, you begin to develop and manifest a righteous character in righteous living, or living righteously. A devout and holy life, to borrow Calvin's description. Such a life is not only secure in God's righteousness, but is filled with power. This is something else that we don't realize 
This righteousness leads to power. This righteousness opens the door for God to start working powerfully through you. Do you hear me? Because there is something about holiness, about a holy God needing to work through you, that if you are not that way, and if you are resisting that holiness and resisting righteousness, so to speak, okay? And I'm not talking about being perfect. Do you all understand? Okay, the, the, the perfect Christian is the one that goes, oops, sorry, messed up again. That's the perfect Christian. Not the one that says, how perfect I am. You've just sinned. <laughs> okay? <laughs> it's the one that remains humble before God and just knows we're going to mess up. Just be quick to repent. That's the righteousness God is looking for. That's the holiness He's looking for. You keep doing that and you keep cleansing yourself. Remember? Cleanses you from all unrighteousness. You keep doing that and He's got a vessel He can work through. You could be messing up all over the place. but You could be using the scripture every two minutes. But that still keeps it open for Him. Not like the one that does one thing wrong and goes, Okay, that was one a year. I'm not going to... You know what, God? You should just, should just allow that because it's been a whole year. He can't work through that. It's like, fine, filthy rag. Just hang with yourself. <laughs> you know, Can't do anything through you. Are you here? Somebody was telling a story of two families. One that was so spiritual. I would say religious, not spiritual. But this person used the word spiritual. The most spiritual people that they ever met. Again, I would say religious. And they would never get healed. Then there was the other side of the family. You know, there's a husband and wife, okay? The other side that... Boy, they were the most unreliable. They'll come to church whenever they want to. If they want to give a tithe, they might. If they want to, you know, if they don't, well, forget about it. But you know what? If they ever made a mistake at any point in time, they'd ask God to forgive them. And every time somebody laid hand on them, they'd get healed. This other group would never get healed. In fact, a few of them died. <laughs> you know? And then this, it was an individual that was asking this question, saying, why is this the case? It's because... One was walking in their self-righteousness. The other knew they were stinkers. And, you know, they just stayed right before God whenever they made a mistake. They just, yeah, they could have lived a better life. Do you understand? God wants the best of both worlds. All right, but I'm just saying that there is the separation. There is what God is looking for. He can work through people that are honest and say, Oops, that was really bad. I messed up there, Lord. I'm really sorry. Boom, he's in. And you shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And don't get a big head. Amen? Okay. Added to this, William MacDonald writes, When a man or woman is clothed in practical righteousness, he or she is impregnable. Words are no defense against accusation, but a good life is. Did you get that? If our conscience is void of offense toward God and man, the devil has nothing to shoot at. We can now better understand why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6 and verse 13, And do not present your members or parts of your body as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead or brought from death to life, and your members or parts of your body as instruments of righteousness to God. Do you see this? So we allow God to work through us and use us as instruments of righteousness. Now as we do this, something very interesting happens. And the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 7, We have faithfully preached the truth. God's power has been working in us. We have righteousness as our weapon on the right hand and on the left, both to attack and defend ourselves. Which is what having it on the right hand and on the left in other translations mean. Okay? We can both attack 
and defend. Alright? Now, notice here that righteousness, when it is developed in your life, not only acts as your protection against the enemy's attacks, but it also turns into a weapon that you can use against the enemy in battle. In his book, Dress to Kill, we'll finish with this, Rick Renner tells us to keep in mind the breastplate of the Roman soldier was made of especially bright and shining golden brass. When the soldier threw his shoulders back and the afternoon sun hit the metal, it cast a blinding glare into the eyes of all who were watching. The brilliance of his breastplate blinded the eyes of his opponent so thoroughly that the opponent could not see to fight. When the breastplate was used in this way, it served as an offensive weapon. Similarly, when you really begin to walk in righteousness, all you have to do is walk into a dark situation and the darkness will begin to flee from you. Evil forces always flee from righteousness because they cannot endure the brilliance that righteousness reflects into their eyes. Therefore, the more you walk in the righteousness of God, the more and more beautiful you look to God. And the more and more dangerously blinding you become to the enemy. That's the power of God's invincible breastplate of righteousness that's been placed on you. Amen? Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.